All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here and joined today by former Ireland international Keith Tracy and the 42.ie journalist David Snade. We're on RT.ie, YouTube, Apple, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts, which is also where you'll find our daily offering of Women's World Cup podcasts. Today's one was with 16-time Ireland cap Rihanna Jarrett and RT Sport Online's Anthony Pine, who were both over in Perth and... Uh, it's all ahead of Wednesday's second group game against Canada, which, like every other game, will be live on RT Television and the RT Player. But on this week's soccer podcast, we're going to be talking about the latest domestic action, including the LOI sides in Europe and the FAI Cup first round, and also Matt Doherty's return to Wolves. But before that, um, Keith, um, I know you were watching Ireland-Australia last Thursday. What did you make of it? And I suppose your thoughts ahead of Canada? Yeah, I, I, I hold out a, a small bit of hope for, for the game against Canada. But look, it's, it's going to be difficult. I think we all know that the, the caliber of opposition we're up against is very, very high. So, look, against Australia, there's ways to win games after there's ways that, that you can stomach if you lose the game. And the girls to this proud. They ran around, they competed for, for large, large periods in the game. I guess they weren't, they weren't exactly banging down Australia's door, but they kept them very, very muted for long periods. The penalties... Probably a little bit soft, but had it been the opposite way, we'd have been we'd have been screaming for it. So I do think that's probably Australia's best little weapon. I know Sam Kerr is injured, but the way the wingers run from out to in inside the two fullbacks, that's where the penalty comes from. It's just a little bit too much pressure. But yeah, look, really, really restricted Australia. And like I say, holds us holds us out with a bit, gives us a bit of hope going into Canada. Yeah, and David, I guess, you know, if you were projecting back five or six years ago, if you'd lost 1-0 to the host nation Australia in, uh, you know, in front of 80,000, probably goes to show just how far this Irish team um, have got to in the space of like six years in that famous uh, Liberty Hall press conference. Yeah, I suppose like, there's an element of that in terms of that, that amount of progress, but also I would say just from you get a sense of how a game has gone and you get a sniff of a game and... and and it didn't. It genuinely didn't feel as if we're Australia, and it was obviously you can only imagine what that would have meant when Sam Kerr. We come. Uh, I don't know how how if it was just. I know it was only announced on the day that she wasn't going to be playing, and like she didn't. She she did. She did our pre match press conference, having just trained as well, and everything seemed fine. So unless she kind of felt that tweak afterwards, and that's when, or the next morning, and that's when she wasn't able to play. It because it, it, it did feel as if even with Australia that they were a bit were a bit disjointed and you could have imagined if she was the one leading that line and Caitlin Ford, because there was a couple of moments in that first half when they did expose Ireland down the right hands down the right hand side when maybe Heather Payne was caught out and a couple of times when knee fatty and that side was coming over and she you could imagine it that if, if she was able to utilize that more often down that down that channel that maybe Ireland would have been in a bit more danger. But the way that they defended and I know obviously the goal came from from a penalty like it's one of them where the best way I describe it, and I'm listening, I know so much has already probably been said about it, but it's one of them where if the referee doesn't give it, I don't think VAR are necessarily going to say you've missed an absolute stonewall penalty there. But then when the ref does give it, they're also not going to say, ah, oh, yeah, no, you've made a stonewall mistake. It, it's, it was just one of them. And, but that's why I think even the nature of you see how Ireland played in the last 25 minutes or so, when obviously when Abby Larkin came on and when Lucy Quinn came on and a bit more of the threat. But the nature of that would have been maybe Australia thinking we we had the goal. And let's not be honest, the, the 10 minutes between them, Australia scoring, like Ireland gave away a couple of really good chances on the break when he looked a little bit of a rabble and it could have easily been 2-0 or 3-0 by the time uh, Vera Pell did make those changes. It was good that they were able to stay solid. But that's why you kind of feel, Jesus, it could have just been a draw because 
the way that game was going and the way it even went after that, Ireland did did really play well and kind of came back into it and had that little bit of confidence. But like I know people are saying, oh, well, like maybe has has Abby Larkin played her way in now? I'll be honest, I don't think so. I know she's done really well. If Anton, if Anton, she's kind of maybe just reinforced the Vera Power that her game plan does work and that's the impact that she can have if maybe a Canada team who aren't maybe as mobile as Australia and aren't maybe as much as a threat in the, the positions that Australia were able to get in that Ireland will actually be much more in the game and that could be the difference maker with nicking that goal in the last minute. That's my own good, good instinct on it because other than the penalty, did they have one shot on target other than a penalty before uh, Australia? If you were doing that against the hosts, even without Sam Kerr and a team who, who have got good attacking players, if you're able to do that, that could, that will just reinforce it. I would, I would say in Vera Powell's mind that, you know what, the way we set up is bang on. Don't need to change too much. It is fine margins because the worst thing you want to do and is you throw Abby Larkin in who, you know, maybe still learning the game in terms of that defensive side of it as well as being able to offer the, the attacking side because when she was coming on, she was just told to just try and go make an impact because it was clear that, especially in the first half, that's where Australia did try and cause a bit of damage. That's why maybe a bit more of an experienced player on that side is is important on, on the right. But uh, I, th- I think it's probably more of the same. That's me got instinct on it in terms of, and also from what you've seen with Vera Pell down what, how she's got success with Ireland it has been by trying to be solid and, and nick something um, so I think that'll be the be the case and ideally it could be 20 minutes ago and they'll all you throw Abby Larkin on you throw maybe Lucy Quinn on and then something could happen maybe when I'll move Katie McCabe up the pitch forward like I know a bit of a ramble but it's one thing that stuck in my head actually about even why Izzy Atkinson is in the squad was Vera Pell mentioning that in that friendly against France when she was making runs and she was watching her she was like saying, right, a couple of years ago, Izzy would have kept on making certain attacking runs and then left herself exposed at the back. Whereas she was actually looking at her and wasn't giving her the instructions, was actually seeing how she would judge her herself. And she kind of said, she actually identified that Izzy Atkinson's maybe more, a bit more maturity and was actually realising the moments to pick those moments to try and support and to try and get forward. So it was not to be exposed. So if there is a change, I... If there was to be one, it might not be Canada, it could even be the Nigeria game. If she does fail, then you know what? She can trust Izzy Atkinson to, have, to be a bit more safe in the defensive side of things on that left side. That could be the change you might see to maybe get Katie McCabe a bit further up the pitch. Or I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if it's the same starting 11 for the, the game against uh, against Canada. Yeah, for sure. And Ireland against Canada, it'll be Wednesday, one o'clock kickoff Irish time. And also we'll have a full preview on tomorrow's daily World Cup podcast as well, which is going to be with Mikey Stafford. But before we get on to the FAI Cup action, it was a busy week in Europe for the League of Ireland quartet. And this next fortnight will also be hectic for the trio that remain in European competition now in the Europa Conference League. And we'll start on Shamrock Rovers and how they exited the Champions League qualifiers at the First hurdle, so lost 2-1 in Iceland against Breda Blake, having lost the first leg 1-0. And um, Keith, looking at it, I mean, Shamrock Rovers, what we talked about last week was they had started off really, really slowly in the home leg and then eventually grew into it and left it quite late. This time round, they started really well and then everything seemed to unravel. Yeah, I, I did think they, they started quite well, that but. I, I just I, I keep going back to it when, when Shamrock Rovers play away from home in Europe. They they seem to still play like they're playing in the League of Ireland. And I think they with the level of, of breed of like I know it was a little bit of a step in, you know, how hard you need how how good are you? We're not sure of their power, but after the first leg, I mean, 
I, I think it was the, the fourth goal or the second hole. Sean Hoare is going to press in, in midfield and you're thinking, like, that's nonsensical. It really is nonsensical because as soon as Breda Blake hit the back of the net, it's essentially toy over given the, the result of the fourth leg. So I just thought, you know, Breda Blake then, they had three chances in 10 minutes. Uh, it just got really, really loose all of a sudden. Um, Graham Borg scored a penalty you seen when, when he got substituted he's effing and Jeff and he wasn't happy with his own performance and I don't think any of the Shamrock Rovers players is walking away from either of the two toys thinking I've done myself proud in them games and look a lot of credit goes to Breed Blick. I do think I, I reiterate that I do think they were a lot better than a lot of people thought they were going to be but I do still think they're not head and shoulders above Shamrock Rovers there is a way that Shamrock Rovers can eat the result out of that game but don't toe to toe them in, uh, in football in terms. I don't think it was probably the best strategy in hindsight. Yeah, and David, I mean, next up for Shamrock Rovers now, first leg this week, it's going to be Ferran Chavaros in the Europa Conference League second qualifying round. And then, of course, the the uh, the second leg um, next week as well. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the same team that beat them 4 1 on aggregate in the playoff round of the Europa League last season for the Hungarian champions. I know they were shocked themselves in the Champions League first qualifying round, but. This is a real tall order if Shamrock Rovers are looking to make a deep run into Europe. I know, absolutely. And it just shows you on a couple of points. Like Again, I know exactly they've got rid of that manager, though, haven't they, since they, like, Ferran Sparrow, since, since then. But it's, it is, it's probably the worst draw they could have got in the sense of, especially falling out of the Champions League qualifiers. But it just shows you the importance. Again, it's about how it happened last year, winning that first game, you know? Like, Rovers now have to win three games to get into the Europe or to get into the... Uh, the Conference League, whereas like Bradley now are guaranteed three games. Do you know what I mean? And it just shows you that first game and like like going through it. I just couldn't I couldn't get over. I couldn't get over how naive Rovers played in that in that game in, in midweek or if like I was doing I was doing actually a report uh for the 42 but just just off the stream. And maybe you don't you don't it's natural you don't get a true maybe sense of of the game but they just look so exposed and even what Keith is saying there about say Sean Hall coming out but like the the second goal where it's literally the centre back players won't pass out to the midfield or the midfielders are able to not even have to take a touch in the trunk and let the ball go across his body, make one pass out and they're just straight through Rovers like so simple and it was just I don't know if it was just if it was maybe Rovers thinking I don't know why they could think considering in the first game even though maybe they had more of the ball in the second in the second half Redwood were they're equal they're more than more than capable of, as they as they proven like well deserved to go through I, I, I was just very surprised by by how Rovers approached and how the players were doing it maybe just you see what's happened since where obviously them going out of the cup and what's happening now in the in the league like the issue is like is there anybody capable because it's clear with this Rovers team they're not I don't think they're going to be able to do what they did last year where they go on a, a decent run and because they haven't done it other than maybe couple of months later on they won four or five on the on the bounce or with maybe a draw in there. I don't think they're gonna be capable of doing it at the for the back end of the season. I just think something at the moment, unless something changes, like they just seem to be not so much in a bit of a rut, but I just think it's gonna be a case that they might just stutter along a little bit. So far no one's proven capable that they can actually punish them for when they do have it those drops off in the league. But in terms of Europe now, it's it's one of them like you can go out of Europe in say say the Champions League and you might still have a bit of balance or momentum or feel you know what they're on the cusp of something they're on the verve but it maybe feels as if this team are on the kind of I've scaled the mountain peak are on the way down a little bit and that's not to say oh do you know what they're brutal and they're rubbish that's not the case at all it's just certain teams like they've won three league titles in a row they're going for four leagues they've just been in the group stages of Europe in the Conference League 
Like it's what all managers have to do, isn't it? Where some of the signings just haven't worked in, in terms of properly re-energizing this the squad. Like like Bort's been an absolute <laughs> let's be honest, it's been a nightmare sign. Just hasn't worked from at all. Do you know, like Marcus Pilm has had good moments, but I don't think anyone can say he's been consistently really at it. There's been he, he's shown glimpses and he's got a cracking goal against balls, but hasn't really kind of been able to do too much. I don't personally I don't think I could be wrong. I don't know what, what, what Keith thinks on it, but maybe it's just a case of like at new football, it's like things can change quickly and a team can begin to maybe lose its edge very quickly. And once you do, it can be shown up. And that's all now that has to be happened is where it's not as if major surgery needs to happen to the team, but just a couple of enforcements made and if they're going to be able to do it and between the other end of the transfer window or if they're going to be able to do it in the off season and because the, the thing for net for overs now is they just have to win the league to get back in in terms of that champions path and for for qualifying for Europe and what that brings them. But yeah, just kind of get the sense that this is a different kind of challenge now for Stephen Bradley and the players where it's like the questions are being asked, where is this team at? Where where are where are they going? And look, if they can do something against Ferenc Varas, maybe that could be the catalyst. Happened with Pats last year when Pats were kind of struggling had a, in under Tim Clancy the first half of the season. The European campaign kind of kickstarted and they had a superb second half of the season. That's what you would you would think Rovers now would be would be looking for, maybe is that they need something to try and kickstart that season, which sounds bizarre at the top of the league and all, and they're four points clear and the ground, but you, you you know it's it's they're not that runaway train that's maybe felt like domestically as they have been over the last couple of years. Yeah, um, because we'll we'll come back to the cup maybe in more detail a little bit later on. But just um staying on Shamrock Rovers, obviously they lost to Dundalk, and that means realistically, uh, beyond the European um tie, Keith, um the the league is really where it's at for them in terms of as David said, four points clear at the top, but now on a run of four defeats and a draw in their last five matches in all competitions, just one goal scored um in that run, which is uh, Graham Burke's penalty in in Iceland and. What you know, looking at them from the outside, Keith, like where do you feel it's going wrong for them? And is it does it look like a blip or does it feel like you know they, they need some sort of a spark in terms of a signing or some other change? Yeah, the one thing they've lost last um, I remember watching Shamrock Rovers last year, and there was there was periods where he didn't play well, and we were thinking maybe there you could patch them, but. They won. They just kept winning games. Even when they were on the back foot, they, they were always walking away from games thinking, oh, Shamrock Rovers won that. And you're thinking, they just lost that that way to, to win horribly or not really falling up but still win the game. And it's sort of a commentary cliche when you hear champions win even when they don't play well. And I know at the league, they're, they're sort of still winning, but it hasn't been great. It hasn't been anywhere near good enough. So to say it's been a blip, this is just how the season has gone. They just they just continued their, their league form into the into Europe and it it's gonna be really, really difficult for this uh Shamrock Rovers team to motivate them themselves because as we know they they've come out of the FAI Cup, it looks really, really difficult in Europe. And like I said, we all expect them to win the league pretty easily at a canter because I do think Derby, Pats, uh Dundalk, they'll all take points off each other, so nobody's really going and going and going and challenging them. So I do think, I know Stewie Bourne touched on it after one of the games, uh, one of the European games, saying that the, the competition within the league is not really helping Shamrock Rovers on the European stage. And look, he might have a point, but I just think when Jack Bourne comes in, you get a fit Jack Bourne, you get Jack Bourne playing well, Neil Perugia comes back into the squad, you motivate Graham Bourke, you get in his head, you make him happy, you get him playing well, Gaffney as well. I think there's more than enough in that team to be able to go and win a couple of games in Europe. And I'm not saying 
they should be going into elite, uh, group stages and doing well, but they should be challenging. They should be throwing punches against breathably. It's just not good enough. And they're, they're our Irish champions. We want them to do well in Europe. They're, they're, you know, carrying the flag for the league, so to say. So to be torn up and not playing that well was, was a big, big disappointment for me. But like David touched on, I don't think there's a, you know, a facelift needed on the team. I just think there's a couple of people that need to be motivated. They need to play, play football in the right areas. I just get back to being able to win when they don't play well because that is a real sign of champions. And at the minute, I, I know that it's quite contradictory because we all expect them to win the league. They're going to keep being the champions of the league, but Shamrock Rovers are going to be held to a little bit of a higher standard with the amount of talent that they have in that team and what we all know they're capable of. So it's not been good enough, but like I said, I don't think they're a million miles away from, from getting it right. Yeah, and we'll come back to the Dundalk side of the cup match as well a little bit later on. But in the Conference League as well, Pats are the the team that have exited Europe after losing five uh, three on aggregate to Dudelange of Luxembourg, and it was three two in the uh, home leg on Thursday. And uh, you were both at it, but uh, David, um, you know. Pats actually played quite well in the attacking third of the pitch. Um, although it seems like you actually missed uh, the moment that actually sparked their uh, their revival. I know, yeah. Um, because it was just, I'm, I'm sure people have seen it by now. And if you haven't, it's genuinely the it's the best goal. I can't even say the best goal own goal I've ever seen because I, I had to watch it back on on a on LOI TV. Because it was just it's just a mad moment. Like I'm, mean, you know, Pete was commentating so. But even it's just one of them where you, you, the reason why I had me head in the laptop because it was like, right, nothing's happening here. Like the ball was breaking in midfield. And I was like making an out on my laptop. And then two seconds later, goalkeeper scrambling. And there's a centre-back chasing the ball and the ball's in the net. It was just, just incredible. And, and it just summed up. Like I, I said it, it was like a game of chaos and class in that game. It was just mad. It was man, a manic game. Like the first half alone, Dude Lange could have been 3-0 up before Pats even got back in the game. And Pats were all over the shop and then made a couple of changes and Adam Murphy scored a great goal, fantastic goal um, off the bench and that was with about half an hour to go and you're kind of thinking, right, can Pats now not so much settle it down because sometimes, I don't know what key thinks, sometimes maybe when a game is a bit manic, sometimes you ride that crest of a wave and you kind of go along with it and you just try and get a moment and but then after that then, like we talked, like keep mentioning earlier about Crazy defender when Sean Hawke came out, but Dave Norman giving the ball away, but then compound that mistake by then following out to try and close down rather than just maybe trying to hold up and buy a bit of time to get a bit of cover. And, and then see Van Linden then scored, and uh, it was just it was a manic game, absolutely chaotic game. Um, I'm sure Keith might be able to describe the goal, the own goal, in absolute detail. Yeah. It was just it was just a, it was a crazy game, and it was also a game where it kind of just shows you as well. Since I said it to John Daly afterwards, and he was talking about. You know just the importance of athleticism at this stage and what players can bring, and that's like when managers are getting in touch with him and people are getting he's getting about ta- sussing out his players and who got what. This is in, in talking about Adam Murphy, who's obviously getting a bit of interest now. Is like they need to have that level of athleticism, and that's what, as well as that, and else even in the when David Lyon scored in in injury time, their midfielder Bruno Bruno Freire still like he's picking winning the ball in the eighteen yard box, winning the fifty fifty and bursting forward. Pats just didn't have someone like that who was capable. Like Jamie Lennon is probably the nearest to it, but still he's not quite as explosive and not quite as good on the ball. But um, yeah, I don't think Pats could have any complaints. It was one that John Daly said maybe he felt as if they left behind, but they had that moment to try and go on and kick on when when Adam Murphy scored that goal and. You just weren't able to do it. 
Yeah, and Keith, just uh, just on that game, um, the sloppiness was probably the thing from from Pat's point of view, especially when they had the run of play, and then it ends up on most of those occasions, Van Lingen comes in and scores these clinical goals. Just when you think Pat's are kind of riding that crest of the wave that David's talking about. Yeah, when when Pat's eventually go ahead in the game, I think they have every chance just to try and see this out, and then you're thinking, do we stick? Do we twist? Do we keep playing? But but first, I thought it was a great game of football. It wasn't it had some quality in it. Had uh, had moments of very little quality in it. The the own goal from Desperes is it was unbelievable. I, I never like to laugh at players, but it did bring a little bit of a smile to me face. And any decision he makes there, other than the in other than what he did, running to the edge of the eighteen yard box and heading it backwards, and I don't think that ends in a goal. Even if he, if he stands on his goal line, it doesn't. You know, Connor Carty has three centre halves around him. He's not going. It's going to be an unbelievable piece of skill for that ball to end up in the back of the net or something like Desperate does. And that was what it got Pats into the game because they were really huffing and puffing at that time. And Bill DeLange got the goal, Van Ling, and just told Polk that uh, I think Hadji, Hadji had a, a, a brilliant game. He had a little bit of class up front. But yeah, they, look at Bill, uh, sorry, Pats were, were huffing and puffing. And then they get that goal, and you're thinking, right, then Adam Murphy comes on. And again, I think Desperate is quite poor for his goal. I, I was sitting in the commentary position. I, I'm not sure of the fucking deflection, but given his uh, his reaction, it may have. But I thought he should have done a little bit better. But to concede five goals over two two games, it's just giving yourself too much to do. And ideally, if Pats Pats have scored three games up, three goals over the two legs, that should be enough to see you through. You should be defensively mm. solid enough to, to get through. But I do think they miss Redmond and miss Brogowski, and it was great that. That Joe Redmond is starting to come back into the Pats team. I think that'll give them a huge boost going into the uh, the end of the season. But yeah, I, I do think they were a big, big miss. And that that's not not to have a go at the at the back of back ball of Pats, but Norman playing that ball in, that two one up, it's a risky ball in. It's, even if even if Jamie Lennon takes it and points, just you know, just you're inviting pressure, you've just yeah. scored a goal, going thrown down for twenty minutes, give them make them make them play from in their own half. And I just thought it was a you know, you you want Pats to play. That's that's the DNA. We play out from the back, but there's times when you just have to release the pressure and don't avoid it. So, yeah, just a little bit more sensible football. But again, you can't see five goals in two, in two games and expect to win it. And just yeah. on that, and just sorry, just really quickly, because on that that point about the pass out by Norman, because it was mentioned to me after the game, which was chatting to uh, one of the Pats staff, and then in fairness, like John Daly did bring it up himself. They were working on it even beforehand, especially after the first leg, where it was like, just don't play any straight passes out into the midfield. Defenders like in because you know it was in the first half. It was trying to you're gonna play out. You play out to the to the wing back or to the fullbacks or play wide. You don't play out and straight in because the midfielders that they have are just and even the way Van Linden was playing that they just almost invite that they want you to play that straight pass out and then you just swarm. And Pat's hadn't been doing that. And then obviously Norman who came on as a sub plays that pass out at a time when first of all. The team was you don't do that, you don't play that pass no matter what. But also at the time in the game it was as well, and that's part of the reason why Pats were a bit gutted after the game as well. It's because something that they specifically worked on and drilled into their players, like what you say, where sometimes where you find out my managers might be so frustrated with lads, something that a message that is given to uh, to players, it's not taken on. They play the pass that's they were told not to play, and then that's what that's what happens for it because that's what. They would have wanted. They want you to play those straight passes into a Jamie Lennon or a Forrester and then try and swarm around them. Because in the game before that, Pats weren't doing that, you know. Like they weren't actually, it was they were getting turned over and there was a kitten on the count. It was actually for four to up because they didn't want to play those passes. And 
just one of them, those those little details where lapsing concentration of not remembering what the instructions were, you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, go on, Keith. I think that as a coaching point, and that I, I, I always bring that up in coaching because so much of football and now is not just pressing, it's the counter press. So teams, like you say, will leave the middle of the pitch open and think, as soon as you go in there, wave that trap set, we're going to nick it, we're going to go straight down your throat. So you try and tell your boys, don't play that pass, because that's a big, big weapon for them. So just take that weapon away by not playing the ball in there. And like you said, Pats did it largely very, very well. But yeah, Norman coming off the bench, was he tuned in? Did he know his jobs? Was he listening? You know, all these things come into question. But again, I go back to the five goals. You can't see five goals in two games and expect your, your attacking lads to dig you out. It's not good defensively. Yeah, and obviously they uh, they came back from that European game to uh, then play Longford Town away and got through to the next round of the Cup. So you were watching that one, Keith. But also looking ahead now, they don't have any European distractions. They're four points behind Shamrock Rovers. Do you give them, and with the way um, Shamrock Rovers are playing at the moment, do you give Pats much of a chance in terms of possibly pushing um, pushing for a league title quietly? Uh, I, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think they're, they're obviously the closest rivals at the minute. I do think it, it might develop into some sort of a race. But look, do I think Pats will win the league? No. Do I think they'll give us a bit of a race and a bit of an entertainment along the way? I'm very, very hopeful. But with Shamrock Rovers, you know, not having too much their eye on, on much other competitions now, I do think Rovers will just go from strength to strength. Now, I do think Stephen Bradley will get that right and just push away from the league. But yeah, look, I, I do. I don't think Pats are too far away. I think maybe their their bench is not as strong as uh, maybe some others around them. The starting eleven, two or three, are, are very, very good. But I do think, like like I said, the two centre halves are, have been missing Joe Edmonds coming back. But I do think they'll get stronger and stronger as the league goes on. But I think the same with Shamrock Rovers. To be honest with you, the only thing I can think of again, I was at the Pats and Cork match a couple of weeks ago, um, when Rudy Keaton scored a uh, last kick of the game almost, and it was a game where I had in my head, I was like. If Pats win this game, maybe do you know what? That's like there would have been was only one point in it then, you know. Um, but obviously they gave away such a sloppy goal and the manner that they did it, and you're just as from a Pats point of view, you're thinking as soon as Joe Redmond can get can, can get back, and if he's able to bring a level of organization to that defense, that could be something that maybe if 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 he's there and obviously Gravosti will be coming back, I'm, I'm sure soon as well, hopefully. But like that's where at the moment Pats just think they're just short and maybe Redmond like he was their player of the year like he's the captain if he's able to bring that bit more organisation and a bit more kind of just seeing things out a little bit when they are one up in a game and have those those points that could be a bit something that puts a bit more pressure on Rovers if Rovers aren't, don't go on that that run it's the only thing I can say I mean, Derry, Derry could be doing it but you never know with Derry because they play he was in a KA of is it where are they from actually uh, they're playing Kupion Palisuero Finland yeah so so like they could get through that possibly that was going to be a, a tough one you never know where their priorities would lie then as well but I don't know it's it's an interesting point this time of year you never know how, how it can, teams can get affected by it and what, what their where priorities can, can move to you know yeah, because uh, as you mentioned, Derry getting through to that tie against uh, the Finnish club. So they got through HB Torshavn um, and uh, this uh, this Finnish club, they got to at least the third qualifying round the two previous seasons in the Europa Conference League and then also the playoff round of the Europa League in the 2020-21 season, Keith. So it's again, possibly like Shamrock Rovers, again, it's a tough tie um, that's uh, that's awaiting them. Yeah, Cukes, the, the Finnish club, they're sitting second in the league at the minute. They they played 17 games in the league. They've won 10 of them. 
Uh, they have a couple of strikers with five and six goals already this season. So they, they do have a little bit of class. I do. I hope Derry have enough to get over that. But again, I, I just like Shamrock Rovers, I don't think Derry have reached the, the kind of heights that we expect from them, given the talent that they have in the dressing room. So hopefully they can put it on in Europe. And, uh, Kilks, they're not, they're not in great form. One of the last five as well. So very, very hopeful for that. But I think out, out, out of the three teams left in Europe, uh, Derry Rovers and Dundalk, I think Dundalk probably have the best uh, the best hope of going through from a, an Irish point of view. Yeah, because you mentioned KA there, David. So Dundalk have uh, them next. They're uh, obviously from Iceland and they're in the bottom half of their league at the moment. So that's uh, that probably in terms of form because Dundalk seem to, even in the second leg against Bruno's Magpies, they seem to have picked up a little bit. And then, of course, we'll talk about the cup a little bit later on where they, they got past Shamrock Rovers as well. Um, and also uh, KA finished eight points behind Breda Blick last season, which depending on what transfers has happened with both of those clubs, probably gives you an indication of where they are. So Dundalk, maybe a little bit of optimism there. Well, you would imagine so. And again, and obviously we'll talk about the Cup separately, but again, to get that result, there's just a bit of positivity there. And yeah, like even Kayani, even this Dundalk team, even though Dundalk as a club over the last few years have a bit more expectation, I suppose, and a bit more a bit more pedigree. And they still have players there who have, who have experience. Obviously, the likes of say like an Andy Boyle and obviously uh, Pat Hogan, um, even like Greg Slogger in there now as well. He's he's been around the block now a little while, but like they're playing against a team who, in terms of European pedigree, haven't got got haven't got much, I suppose. But it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of them where not you can never be too confident. I don't I don't mean this in a, in a pessimistic way as as a, as a League of Ireland when you're covering the League of Ireland and all the rest of it. Like if. It's almost like as if if Dundalk were on a proper proper kind of show of strength and domestically you said you know what they're in it, they're at a point where you you should expect them to go and maybe go and win but again like all the teams really this season like the, their weaknesses are still apparent as well you know they're they're a team under Stephen under Stephen Donald who you know probably didn't because of the nature of say budgets and all the rest of it probably hasn't got the type of players in the door as, as he wanted them has had to make allowances to to certain degree and stuff um but like got through obviously against Bruno Magpies in a sticky enough game when obviously they, they leveled as well when when obviously when they got the early goal they could have been on easy street but then came through it again as you were saying that the second half you'd like to think that this one dog team and with the, the coaching staff would have enough know-how and enough ability to get through but just the nature of it is you can never be too sure especially even after one, one stage of it as well you know like regardless like they went through against when I was only was it Connors Key that team, team in, in Wales who they went through and it's all without without conceding a goal. Do you know what I mean? So, like regardless, that's that gives you an indication that they must be set up in it. They must be have a, a decent defensive structure about them and and stuff. And maybe you like to think Pat 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 like the man of the moment, even with the the actually did you see that video? I'm going around, but did you see the video of that one actually online of Hulman where one of the uh, sound technicians who was doing uh, a gig in the San Siro put up the video of Hulman in the San Siro after the last games. No, I did not see that. There's some local, there's a local fella from Dundalk. I saw it, I saw it online over the weekend. I was just bringing up because it just took my head as simple to mention Hilburn. And it was like, he was doing like some sound engineering for for a, for a band they were playing in, I'm not sure who it was in the San Siro, but like on the video, had on the big screen in the San Siro, which is a picture of uh, Pat Hilburn celebrating. It's actually pretty good. Don't worry, you can, you can cut this out, out in a podcast. It was just something that I thought was <laughs> I found quite funny when I saw it online. 
Yeah, it sounds real anyway. But um, in the in the third qualifying round, of course, if, if the if the the tree left in Europe were to go further, so Shamrock Rovers because the draws just happened. So Shamrock Rovers would face Hammerin Spartans of Malta or Dinamo Tbilisi of Georgia. Derry City would come up against FC Basel, um, obviously well known regular Champions League and involved in the Europa League, etc. Um, I think they were Europa Conference League semi finals last season, and then FC Tobol Kostanai, um, who were up against Basel at the moment, and Dundalk would be up against Club Bruges, another high-level club, or AGF Aarhus as well, who um, come from Denmark, of course, as well. But David, just on the, you know, those ties, even if they were to get through to the third qualifying round, look fairly um, look fairly daunting. And when you're thinking about UEFA coefficients, and this is an ambition for the FAI to go from where they were previously, um, when, you know, when the plan was set out, they were around number 40, and they want to get to sort of number 30. Yeah. It's, uh, it's more, it's a dent in the road, um, anyway, from the looks of it. Yeah, well, I have to go. Well, actually, have to go back and check this even on on the coefficients. But when they did the when the FAI did the kind of the, the plan for the future for the like ten or twenty year plan or what it was and the strategic plan recently, they kind of mentioned this about what they want to do for te- in terms of teams in Europe. The guy kind of wrote about it a, a little bit at the weekend on the sense of just kind of what John Daly brought up, and it was just on the basis of what I've seen, like. At the moment, at the moment, like what Roy of other teams got to say, well, you know, minimum. I know McRoberts did very well last year in terms of getting into the um the conference league on the back of obviously winning that for, the champions path and winning that first game in in Europe and then being able to go through the the other rounds in in Europe and stuff. But like until over the next while, there's some huge changes happening in terms of the structures of Irish football and what needs to be needs to be going through and what needs to be going to happen. We spoke with this only recently on the on the podcast as well, and even obviously there's some stuff going on about the FAI want and the investment from government. But like in the meantime, it's still going to be a, a bit sporadic. It's still going to be a case of maybe some teams will do well in in one round, might struggle in another. If you get through to a to a, a group stage in terms of the, it's more than likely only ever going to be the champions who win the league who are going to have a chance of getting into a group a group stage. That's just where Warriors teams are at at the moment. It's just going to be if that's something that they're looking for for continued say progress in Europe and consistently. Well, like that's when you need to be able to have the proper investment fund, the youth structures all the way up, and get to a point where it can actually be something that clubs can say, well, you know what. We're going to be investing X amount of money inside the youth side of things to be able to keep on developing players, be able to have full time staff, and like this is just such a, a a repetitive point that I keep on making all the time, but like and not just having to compete force team, force team, force team to get that to get that benefit because obviously does that make sense in terms of because of the nature of how it is with that champions path, there is so much like even though there's even though there's so kind of little money on prize money on offer in terms of from the actual league itself. For winning, for winning the league, obviously you win the league, so that's the, the prize in itself. But it's just that benefit of being able to go through it in Europe. And I know it hasn't happened this year for Rovers because they they were disappointing. But like the fact that that one round in Europe can be worth so much to you because you if if you get through it because it just opens up other avenues and almost not got you never guaranteed that, but it just opens up the different avenues for you in terms of obviously say your Europa League needs to be or the or the Conference League then. But for for the time being, like. Again, I don't know what Keith what Keith's point would be on this as well, but from my point with with stuff is, un, until it's the everything's the houses in order where there's full time academies and clubs are able to develop their own players and are able to work on their own players to actually get you're developing your own um players to a point where when it does come around to Europe that they're physically able to do it because the league is getting younger. It's another aspect to it. 
whether physically able to do it, athletically able to do it, technically able able to do it, and have those players who are ready, it's always going to be a struggle to get through the rounds. Like it's the nature of it where you have to get first team players in, you have to spend money to in terms of wages and all the rest of it to be able to compete, and that's fine. But when the nature of the league is looks to be going a certain way with the with the demographic demographic of it, that's when you have to make sure, well, the players who are coming through are if it's athletically and technically like an Adam Murphy and I'm just using him because it was something that John Daly had mentioned. Well, I just don't see how you can expect for Irish teams to be consistently um, competing through two and three rounds in Europe. I just don't understand how you could expect that. Yeah, because Keith, just uh, to add to that, I suppose it has been an anomaly for Irish teams to get to group stages, regardless of whether it was the Europa League or more recently with Shamrock Rovers last season in the, the Conference League. I mean, Shamrock Rovers have done it twice to get to a group stage and Dundalk during a kind of golden era also um, also did it twice. So, you know, it's 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 a tough road um, to go with a lack of investment generally within the game. Yeah, it's a very tough road and it, it's only getting tougher rather than it. What David's saying about the, the lads coming through academies, and it, it's very difficult because you know any sort of, with the league being the with the league being like it is, any sort of lad who shows any sort of uh, any sort of encouragement that even 15, 16 years of age, he's not going to be playing for the under 15s and 16s in the academy. He's going to be in the fourth team now. His development, he might be raw, he might be very good, but he'll be raw, and the technique work that he should be doing at underage level obviously will get skipped because. He's at he's at advanced age, but you know the blanket's not big enough to fit everything. You have to you have to sometimes you have to hold people back for their own own well being. But like I say, the league is not in a position to be doing stuff like that. Anybody with any sort of talent gets thrown into the fourth team, and you know they they start to think that they're that they're ready made star, and that that that's not the case. They still need an awful lot of work. So it, it's difficult for Irish teams in Europe, and it's going to continue to be difficult. But I still think with with the with the, the likes of talent that they have that that Rovers have, that Pats have, and Dog have, we can compete, but it's going to be difficult. And we can't always just say, oh, you know, it's down to the financial structure of the leagues or, or this and that. I think player for player over the last couple of games, uh, Rovers against Breedablick, I don't think there's too much in that game, but we lost it. Pats, obviously, as well against Duda Launch, I don't think there's an awful lot in that game, but we came out the wrong side of that. So, yeah, look, it's difficult, Rafa, and it's going to continue to be difficult. But, you know, I'm, I'm still quite hopeful moving forward. Yeah, and uh, we're going to uh, turn to the Sports Direct FAI Cup first round. But before that, just to note also the Avenir Sport All-Ireland Cup final, Galway United beat Cliftonville 1-0 thanks to Gemma McGuinness's goal. And she also won player of the match and silverware there for a club uh, that are very much on the up within the women's premier division. But just on the first round of the FAI Cup, um, David, like looking through it, not too many, you know, if you're looking out for giant killings, they were fairly thin on the ground. Well, unless unless you count Luke United getting beaten at home as a, a giant killing, they seem to have uh they seem the same they seem to be um I don't know what's the what's the I wouldn't say they are they're throwing their weight around, but they, they seem to be uh having a few bob there as well. I think that's that's kind of irked the uh, irked a few uh, people as well. I think that I think the celebrations of of some of the Patsy Y players might have uh, they might have enjoyed that one scoring so late, but uh, it's one of them where like at this stage you're you're kind of thinking you're looking at it. Obviously, the fact that Rovers and Dundalk were both coming off were both coming off Europe, you're if you don't think it's a shock. Is, is it really a shock if if Dundalk and Rovers haven't got a great record up in in Oriel as well? Like obviously going by the table, it's a bit of a shock. It's not a joint killing. Maybe Pat's looked to be struggling for a while. I know obviously Keith, Keith saw that full game and stuff. Pat's looked to be struggling for a while until actually Murphy scored and 
and then obviously well Longford got back into it. That could have been could have been a bit of one. And even Derry up to a point, no, was it they took him a while to break down break down at loan as well. So it got through you kind of thinking like I know it was, it was on Friday as well, like uh Bowles and Afalabi continuing his great run of form, knocking out knocking it knocking out shells, but there were some great tires, but it's just gonna be interesting to see now as well who gets here on the next stage because like if there's more, if you, if you could see it, like if, if it's a Pats and a Dundalk or if it's Pats and Derry or Derry and Dundalk, like some of these teams now are, they'll already be looking at the AV, they'll already be saying this is, is open up here now a little bit, you know. Um, So, I don't know, it's still a little bit, not that Cup Fever hasn't taken hold, but it's like, till you, it's almost until you get to really the quarterfinal stage, that's when you kind of maybe get a sense for, for it and see where it, where it, where it could be going, you know. Um. Yeah. Well, yeah, like nothing so far that's a, that's a kind of in sport, kind of got that whole cool favor because as you say, like that hasn't been a mad, that hasn't been a mad shock or that hasn't been like a mad game really where you thought, just didn't see that coming or this has got things going now a little bit, you know, it's just kind of after after the Europe and with the World Cup kind of thing, it just kind of feels like well, almost like a last weekend a little bit, especially a last weekend for the whole world seeing as they've actually seen as they've actually gone out, but it's yeah, I think another another little while before things will probably kick into gear with 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 teams in the cup, you know. Yeah, and of course Dundalk doing well to make sure they're in the uh, the the second round, uh, and the draw for that will be on game on RT Two FM tomorrow, which is uh, Tuesday. But uh, also, uh, David, just uh, slightly overshadowed by events sort of off the pitch. So the FAI and the league as well um, put out a statement saying they're aware of an alleged racial abuse incident directed at a Shamrock Rovers player outside of Oriel Park um, yesterday, which was Sunday. And uh, the governing body say they condemned the racial slur by the Dundalk supporter in the strongest possible terms. And I think it's fair to say these are the type of things we don't want to be seen in the game. No, no, absolutely. Like even the fact, like you've seen the clip coming up on, on social media, um, and obviously it seems to be like you, you hear Roberto Lopez, Pico Lopez kind of, being open about it and making this point is only like, and if anyone knows him genuinely like one of the for a for a centre back just one of the nicest calmest fellas you know what I mean always kind of got some in his face and for for him to have to deal for him to have to deal with that is so sickening and, and obviously it was a completely different type of incident down at Cork when obviously they, some of the Cork fans were seeing how Stephen Bradley's son and you seeing how how quickly Cork were able to identify them and and issue out that punishment and yeah it it, it should be the exact same now in terms of the light point band talk with zero tolerance like and all the rest of it. This is where you have to actually show it and make it's not so much of that make shouldn't have to be making an example of people. It's just like set setting the example, not rather than making an example of someone does that, does that make sense in terms of that there's absolutely like no place for it what whatsoever. And it should be put they should be punishing the people who see it not to be and it's ah like it's just it's just disgusting and even when you see like Roberto Lopez as I was saying someone who's been around the league for so long and like it's just it's just sickening to be honest yeah and just a final thing on the cup as well so um, Bo's first team coach Derek Pender and Shell's manager Damien Duff were speaking to John Kenny so that was after the Friday night Dublin Derby uh, uh, cup clash between the sides which saw Bohemians win 1-0 and sort of avenge the defeat in the quarterfinals last season so let's listen to the two of them um, right now Derek was uh, the overall assessment of that game obviously a very good cup tie rip-roaring stuff kind of hanging on towards the end I thought yeah well I wouldn't say we were hanging on the long balls are difficult to deal with I suppose and you get a little bit nervous towards the end when you're winning 1-0 that's in every game but I thought we dealt with it really well 
and uh, thankfully we got the result in the end. First half, it looked like it was all both. Second half, shells came more into the game, do you think? Yeah, we were a little bit tentative, I suppose. We were probably a little bit nervous in our play. Um, we played really well in the first half, thought we controlled the game, but even though we were nervous, a little bit probably nervous in our play in the second half, we still felt that we had the better chances in the game, and if Johnny scores one of them chances, you know, it probably makes it a little bit more comfortable for us. They had a penalty claim in the first half. Yeah, what do you think? yeah. That well, look looked a penalty to me. To be honest, where <laughs> yeah. I was sitting, so look, we got away with it, and thankfully because we haven't got away with many this year. And I think overall in the game, if you look at the referee's performance, every 50-50 decision went their way. So we got a bit of luck there, thank, thankfully. Yeah, they got a header in the second half as well, which just cleared off the line. Or looked like they had a bit of ball, it, but the post or something. So it's pretty close to going to one-one. Yeah, they hit the post from a corner. They hit the front post. Obviously, we look at that at training tomorrow because we need to make sure we don't concede from corners. But look. We got you got one yourself from a corner. We did, we yeah. did, because we work hard on them and uh, it was great for Johnny to get that goal because, uh, like we say, Johnny gets very little protection and he's been brilliant all year, taking a lot of banks, so I'm delighted for him. Uh, Damien, a brilliant cup tie if you're a neutral. What was your observations of that? Uh, we didn't start till the second half and you can't leave 45 minutes behind and then cup football, any football league, football, Dublin derbies. Uh, so that would be a real criticism. I know the guys will be a big regret from them. I said it openly in our in-house media yesterday. You have to start quick. We didn't. And you're always playing catch-up. Should you add a penalty in the first half? Oh, well, that was a stonewaller, you know. Uh, the fourth, Rob, and he's a good guy. And the Lions been telling me it's down, but it's, I think it's there for everybody to see. It's out at 90-degree angle. But the lads are more open arms. I still have to see it, one in the second half. So you'd say two stonewallers, but the one right in front of me, uh, how we didn't get it, I don't know. But I'm not going to... Uh, you know, keep bringing that up because the first 45 minutes disappoints me a lot more than not getting the penalty. I haven't reached the final last year to go out so early this year. must be doubly disappointing as well. Yeah, well, listen, uh, I was really excited by the draw. I know you can get, you know, the non-league teams, the Lancer senior league teams, but uh, to get to the final, you're going to have to win big games and uh, the boys can be really disappointed um, tonight because <laughs> did we deserve to get back into the game? Yeah, but like I said, that first half still just uh, really roils me. Okay, so Damien Duff slightly riled there as he uh, as he said himself and uh, obviously we saw Keith last season how the cup sort of galvanised shells as the season went on. They got to the final obviously the final itself um, wasn't, uh, didn't go the way they would have wanted uh, wanted it to be uh, to be fair but um, this is an opportunity for Bose though on the other hand who got to the final the previous year uh, and were I suppose unfortunate to lose on penalties uh, to Pats but um, with the way Bowes have been going a little bit uh, up and down in the last few weeks um, maybe sort of a cup run if they depending on what draw they get obviously in the second round could be uh, could be good for them in terms of giving them a bit of momentum as the season goes on Yeah sometimes uh, sometimes you're, you're, you're looking for any sort of inspiration and it can be the littlest thing sometimes in games it could just be winning a 50-50 tackle or rattling somebody and the crowd get up and Sometimes when you win games in the cup and you go on a little bit of a run, you just start to get this feel that okay, maybe there's something happening here. But I thought it was a, I thought it was a really decent game. I, I enjoyed it. I thought uh, Derek Penner's interview was brilliant. You know how many times have you, as somebody asked the manager, uh, what did you think was that a penalty? And you just, I, I haven't seen it yet, or I'm not sure. And he said, yeah, it was a penalty. It was. And it was brilliant, honestly, from him. I do think it was a penalty. And obviously, uh, Shelbourne hit the post. Buffer saying they should have had a, a penalty as well in the second half, but. He's right as a as a coach, as an inspiring coach now, you can't not turn up for 45 minutes and then when you lose the game, start giving out about it. You have to play for 90 minutes. And Shelbourne, unfortunately, didn't do that. They, they probably did do enough to get back into it, but 
yeah, foes, foes would be happy just to get that over the line, especially with what happened last year with them not going up in the quarterfinals against Shell. So I think with Shamrock Rovers going out with the out with the cup already, I know uh, I know Derry are the holders, but with, with Rovers going out, I think I do think the likes of a Bowes, the likes of a Pats, people now will just be thinking maybe maybe we could get to the final and you get to the final anything can happen from there. So I do think a couple of people, like I said, Derry are the holders, I know that, but with Shamrock Rovers going out, I do think there's a couple of people just licking their lips a little bit. Yeah, and speaking of Bowles, one of their uh, former players from many moons ago, Matt Doherty, has made the move mm-hmm. back to Wolves now. Obviously, um, last season in, in January, he left Spurs to go to Atletico Madrid on a short, short-term deal. Barely got any game, game time, David. And it's an interesting move back to a club where you're wondering with uh, you know the change of manager from where he was there previously, the system has changed and Doherty seems to thrive in a very specific um, type of system. Well, that's it because like you, you look at Doherty, even at Wolves, he got the move pretty much as far as in the back of playing as a wing back, didn't he? That's pretty much where he's shown in that three foot Lopetegui, it's an interesting one though because you wonder this is where again like some of the sounds like he's it's not as if he's there for the long haul. Like no, no, he no. doesn't sound doesn't sound happy anyway from some no, of the different clubs. Like even straight after as soon as he they survived, they they made sure they they stayed up. He was giving interviews and talking about what he wants from the club and. And let's let's be honest, he's probably thinking, considering where he's been previously and who he's managed and and, and stuff, he's been thinking, well, not that he can throw his weight around, but he's a manager, he he can set the agenda here, which is how I suppose how it should be. But I don't know, it's it's it kind of could strike me openly surprised if he has a new if he has a new manager relatively soon in terms of how Wolves actually start the season. Um like obviously there's the issue even at even at Wolves as well, where you're probably thinking, well, between that with the sorry, with the with the manager, but then also like not that they just they just stayed up, but there's been a few changes there, a few players. Ruben Neves has left as well, hasn't he? And yeah, there's like there has been a couple of other bodies here who've gone out the door and you're kind of thinking, like, will he play football? This is the thing. Like, not that any player will will get hundred percent assurances, especially in someone like like his situation. Like, I don't think he could expect to be getting assurances that he's definitely gonna play. That's what he needs. Do you know, we Kind of like he didn't barely kick the ball. We got about 15 16 minutes of football for Atletico Madrid back in the last year. Played a little bit for Spurs. He was in and out, although he kind of looked as if he was maybe beginning to get more of a foothold in that Spurs team. But it's just going to be interesting. I don't know. It just it's, it does strike me as a bit of a strange one. Do you know what I mean? It's just that he's gone, that he has gone back there. Um, and also in the situation, the fact that even the formation that they play and, and stuff. But Listen, if he goes in and he plays, it's only gonna ball well, especially for for Ireland when it, at the start of the season and all the rest, you know. Yeah, and Keith, what do you make of it? because uh, it is a it's an intriguing enough one, you know. Sometimes uh people would often advise don't go back to somewhere you've been before, but obviously he knows Wolves well, he's well respected by the, the supporters, did well uh, in his previous spell, but then you look at the squad they have, so Nelson Semedo is still on the books there, who would normally be the starting right back or right wing back, depending on what system um they go for. But also, as David outlined there, there's been a lot of changes at the club. They're not spending a huge amount of money. You worry if you were a Wolves supporter what situation they're going to be in uh, next season because obviously they're a little bit constrained and then Doherty kind of returning to a situation like that where game time isn't necessarily guaranteed Yeah from uh, from the out, from the outside looking in Rathboy I, I do think Wolves will be up against the next season I'm not saying I, I think they'll be relegated but I do think they'll be there or there about just you know having a having a quick glance you look at who they brought in Tom King from Northampton on a free and Matt Doherty from Atletico Madrid on a free they're not spending money 
Uh, Raul Jimenez is all there. It looks like he's going to go to Fulham for five and a half million to replace Mitrovic, who wants to go to Saudi Arabia. Neves is already gone. Yeah, and the the the, the noise is coming out a lot of the day, and not good noises either. So I just hope that Matt Dottie goes there, gets his head down, gets into the team under Lopetegui. And I do think at some point, you know, whether it be a month, two months, six months, Lopetegui will leave. But that's going to be a really important point for Matt that he doesn't just get lost in the, in the corner over the manager that he's, he ends up, you know, in the under-23s or a bit part player. Because but looking at it through Wilder's eyes, he, he's all the talent in the world going forward. If he could just slow people down when he's in a defensive 1v1 situation, then... I do think he'll get into the Wolves team because what he brings you going forward is, is everybody knows what he has. It's just a little bit question mark over him that maybe Samada is a little bit of a better defence or maybe a little bit quicker can recover a little bit better if he does get beat. So he, he, it's not going to go there and go straight back in on his reputation. He will have to earn it. I'm, I'm hopeful that he will, but I'm also, I can see a scenario where he does go there and get lost and doesn't get an awful lot of game time. But he's a little bit like an Atletico, but you know, I'd let it go. You're at an elite club in Europe. It can start to be okay. Anybody can go there and not get a lot of game time at Wolves. Going to be threatened with relegation next season. Not bringing a lot of people in. Just get your head down and work hard. Get into the team and mm. whatever happens that happens. Just don't get caught up in the in what I would assume would be a turnover a manager pretty soon. Like worst case scenario for me is Wolves have a shocking start to the season. Lopetegui goes and they decide to bring Martin O'Neill in on a short term contract because then he really is goosed. Possibly. <laughs> I think their their best hope is if Nuno probably uh, keeps because yeah. he's probably been the manager who's got the most out of him and because he's a he's a weird prototype as a as a wing back it seems and maybe you might be able to kind of talk us through exactly you know his strengths he's not the type he doesn't really have the pace to bomb down the line but he's got a great engine on him and his movement at his best in a specific system is excellent. Yeah, well, what Matt already does very well. It, going forward, and it, you know, you say these things, and people say, "Oh, that that's easy." His timing, his arriving into the box, and sometimes players can go and stand in a space. You, you don't want to stand in space. If you stand and still in the space, then you're in there too early. What Matt does is he arrives perfectly on timing at the back stick, and he's very capable of going on a little lazy dribble and beating one or two people and putting balls into the box. His delivery is usually decent. He's very good running onto the ball. I don't when he has his back to play. Sometimes he can be on the wing get. Uh, pressed by the winger and you're thinking is he going to make the right decision on the ball now when he has to dig, dig out a pass he can maybe make the wrong decision so there is a, an awful lot of things defensively that he can work on but offensively he, he is really really good but there's so many times that you see him coming back and he's 1v1 and he just dangles a lazy leg or he's not really trying and, you know I, I was an awful awful defender I really was but I was a winger and I was told just get back and be a body don't sell yourself make them beat you and eventually one of your teammates will come over and help you. Just slow him down. That's all you have to do. Slow him down. Don't sell yourself. And I think if Matt improves his defensive duties by 5-10%, he will get into the Wolves game. But if he starts becoming a little bit of a liability going backwards, Lopetegui's not the type of man to make, uh, yeah. you know, to, to let that happen. So he needs to defend properly to get into that Wolves game. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll see how he gets on um, next season. Also, how Wolves get on, because again, there there's a lot of intrigue there, and obviously, he's not the only Irish player there. Joe Hodge too will hopefully uh, make more of a 
saw a bit of him last season, but hopefully um, make more for or get more first team opportunities this season. But anyway, and that is it for uh, today's podcast. Obviously, the Republic of Ireland's women's team in World Cup action on Wednesday against Canada, second group games. That's going to be live on RT2 and the RT player at one o'clock. And obviously, we've got our daily World Cup podcast as well that people can watch too. But David Snade, thanks a million for uh, taking the time and Keith Tracy as well. Yeah. Yeah.